0: Song, we can still see you. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, our pastor has been, uh, Pastor Angela, has been ministering a message that says Freedom in Christ. Some of you may have seen the advertising for that, uh, but she will be ministering that starting next week. Uh, we have a special guest speaker that's going to be with us today, so we invite you back next week to hear this powerful message on Freedom in Christ it has been power packed with all the things that God can do in our lives, so that we have true freedom. Bible wants us to walk in freedom and not in bondage. Many times in the jail ministries and so forth, we tell them, we say, we can show you how. How many of you want to be free? And they, you know, they want to be free. We tell them, this is the only place I know that I said, but you can actually be free, but it's still inside the inside the jail. So we teach them how that they can release the bondage that we as Christians need to take the chains off and break the chains off and walk in the freedom that Christ has given to us. But just come expecting that next week. But today we have the honor and the privilege to have uh, evangelist Scott Hinkle and his lovely wife Nancy with us. Scott comes with a great background of evangelism. Uh, he is an evangelist at heart completely. He is, uh, uh, he'll be sharing with things with you. He shared with us yesterday on Saturday things about evangelism extend the reach to match up with our uh, taft reach where we're reaching out into our communities through different ways in ministries of the church but he's coming to inspire us as a church to do the call that Jesus told us to do he called us what? to evangelize the world to take the gospel to the world our world begins when we walk out the door when we walk out the door that's our mission field wherever we go And we heard all about that yesterday, but we're excited today to have him come and be able to bring the Word of God to us. So I pray that you open your ears, let God minister to you, and that you receive exactly what God wants you to have today. God bless you, Scott, as you come.
1: Jesus, an expression of praise right now. Can we do that? I appreciate what you did, but let's honor Christ here today. Lord, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now you can be seated, those of you who are still standing. After this worship, it's hard to sit down. God bless you guys. Thank you. How many of you appreciate this worship team? Give it up for them. Amen. It's an honor to be here with you, Pastor Angela. Thank you for allowing... My wife Nancy and I, the minister in the house. Larry and Pat Graham, these guys did an incredible, phenomenal job in facilitating this weekend. Thank God for all your leadership here. Come on, let's do that right now. You say, Hank, you tell us to thank God? Look, two, the two most important words that I, well, almost the most important words I know are thank you. And I mean, you know. I try to say thank you to people every day. First of all, Jesus in the morning. Some folks wake up and go, good Lord, it's morning, rather than good morning, Lord. Amen. But it's an honor to be with you here. I'd like my wife, Nancy, to stand for just a moment. My great partner in life. She's a better preacher and teacher than I am and minister of the gospel than I am. And one of the multiple reasons that I was drawn to her many, many years ago, number one, beautiful young lady, number two, Italian, my favorite food group, number three. (laughs) Number, Number three, she loved Jesus more than me. She could preach the gospel, witness, fight the devil, and pray. So I thought that's a good pairing up right there, so... Especially, I mentioned we're, we're evangelists. Really, my wife and I look at ourselves more as missionaries to America. My background is a little different than maybe some of you. First of all, I'm from New Jersey. Don't hold that against me. Amen. It is a plus. Secondly, I'm Jewish. So, those are two things you need to understand. Number one, being in New Jersey, I'm not in the Bible belt. Secondly, being Jewish means I wasn't raised in church. Earl, I was a heroin addict, I'm out in the state of New Jersey on narcotics charges. One day, at the age of 19 in my third high school, it was an anti-drug lecture. I wasn't interested because I thought I knew everything about it. There was a former rock musician in Hollywood played music on the Sunset Strip telling his story of a near-fatal overdose. It was kind of humorous, but very pointed. And I'm sitting in the balcony of the, the gymnasium in my school, and I'm not listening to him. I'm talking to my cousin. We did drugs together, and it was like, eh, we don't want to listen to him. And all of a sudden, I felt something brush across my face. And I heard a voice. It wasn't a loud, booming, audible voice. It was the whisper, How many of you know what I'm talking about? And the voice said to me, Hinkle, listen, this guy's got something to say. You don't know everything. Now, that was a word from God. I didn't know everything. And I began to listen more with my heart than with my mind. My mind was manufacturing excuses why I shouldn't listen to this guy. And I felt compelled to talk to him. I played a little music. He played music. I thought maybe, you know, I mean, a Hollywood connection, whatever. But I was like a nail being drawn to a magnet. I borrowed a car, found out what the speaker's schedule was, caught up with him, and we ended up at a little root beer stand in a small town in Kansas. And we're talking, and his wife was talking to my friend. He took me out to his car. It was a pretty nice car, a 1969 red and white Malibu Supersport Chevy. For those of you that like cars, that was a good car. And you see, those are the days, my friend, when they would greet most strange-looking people in the back of most churches with a pair of scissors and a candle I saw. And they'd tell them, get shaved before you can get saved. Never realizing that Jesus catches his fish before he cleans them. And he's talking to me. He's got his Bible open. friend, I don't understand one word of what he's saying about Christianity. I was as unreached as anyone from the Darien jungle, one of the darkest jungles on this planet. And yet I saw something in him that I desperately wanted. I had no idea what it was. And as he's got his Bible open, I'm, I'm... I don't get it. But there was something going off on the inside of me. And I bowed my head. I didn't know the typical way to become a Christian that most of us follow through the process, and it's good. But I bowed my head and silently cried out in my heart, God, if You can do everything this man's talking about, go on ahead and do it. Jesus, it's You or the gutter. I've been in the gutter. I don't have any more options. Funny thing, Jesus was listening. Because immediately I felt like somebody came in on the inside of me with a scrub brush and a hose. All I could imagine was a guy like old painter's coveralls cleaning me out because I felt like all the garbage and crud drained out of my life. I felt brand new. And if you ever have that brand new feeling before, I hope so. And immediately, he, he gave me a little paperback New Testament and a handful of literature and... I didn't even know what the book really was till I opened it up three days later and it said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I figured this must be a Protestant Bible, so I started to read it, and I had been for decades. But immediately I I ran into a kid after I left and went back to the town I lived in. I ran into a kid I knew standing in front of the high school. I looked at him. I said, hey, man, I just asked Jesus to come into my life. I don't have to do drugs anymore. Don't you knock him till you try him. And that was it. When you're a Christian for 90 minutes, how much do you know? But I told everything that I knew. And that day, the Lord drafted me into a lifetime adventure of telling the world Jesus Christ can change your life and helping as many Christians do the very same thing as they possibly can. So today, we're missionaries to America. We often focus on the streets and the inner cities and the broken and the hurting as well as every other place in this country. And I want to share a little video with you because it's one thing you see a guy up here preaching and he looks kind of church-oriented, and I'm good with that. But I want you to get a little fuller picture of who we are and what we're about before I open the Word to you. For many years, we've taken an army to the Mardi Gras in New Orleans. There's no more wicked place in America than there. And I won't ask if any of you have ever been there, and then I have to ask you why. And we won't go there. you were either a missionary or a mission field. I'd like to show this little video to you, and I really have a point to it at the end.
0: you tell me he can't
1: Put this in context. You have a million people that come from all over the world, get crazy, drunk, naked, weird, and insane. We've done this for over 40 years. This past year we took a team of 125 people. And I need to tell you right now, there's nobody on those streets that has Jesus Church or Christianity on their minds. And in three short days, our team of 125 individually, there's no crusade setting, individually prayed with over 1,700 people to give their life to Jesus Christ for healing, for miracles in various ministry opportunities. They wade into the cesspool of humanity and extend the hand of Christ and see God do miracles. I love that song, Don't You Tell Me He Can't Do It. We're living in a nation today that is in disarray and chaos But don't you tell me He can't do it. I believe America will be saved. I've been around a long time. I've seen God do miracles all over this country. And I think we are set up, my friend. That's not on my notes, but that's in my spirit right now. Let me ask you this question. I don't know if you've ever had a thought something like this. How many of you have heard heaven's pretty good? Have any of you heard it's not good? How many of you won't respond no matter what I ask? (laughs) If heaven is as good as we've heard, my friend, here's a thought I've had. Then why didn't Jesus take us there immediately upon salvation? Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, be my Savior, my Lord. We're out of here. Does that that sound good to anybody? It sure would. Make our exit part of the initial salvation experience. Another way to look at it. For a moment, I want you to put yourself in the company of the early believers. Have any of you seen that series, The Chosen? One of the things I like about movies like that is I can put myself in the company of the believers following Jesus. It's easy to do it that way. You'll watch and you go, man, I'm rolling with you. And just think of this. You've spent three and a half years with the Son of God. You've experienced and seen all the things that have taken place when He walked on this earth. When you heard preaching, it wasn't somebody quoting Jesus. It was Jesus talking. You've seen the miracles, the provision, all of the things. And you think, man, life looks really good following Christ. And then he leaves. You know, he says, I'm going to come back and here's a few things that are going to happen. But the fact remains that in the crazy chaotic time of the world back then, as well as this moment we're living in today, we're still here. And the Bible gives us some clear, definite reasons for this that I must bring to our remembrance and attention today. I want to start with the statement that Jesus made that is an incredible statement, sometimes larger than we believe. He said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, I mean, I... I've seen church buildings wiped out by storms. So obviously Jesus isn't saying He's going to build a building that can withstand the storms of the world. Neither is He saying He's going to build a a tightly run organizational and corporate structure. The intent of Jesus is clear to raise up a people. How many people are here today? Look at the person next to you and ask them, Are you people? to raise up a people who will not only withstand the onslaught of hell, and by that I don't mean, well, we're going to be here when hell passes over. That's not the point. But that they will prevail and conquer and triumph over hell. 2 Corinthians 2.14 tells us this now, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Now, folks, today it may not seem as easy to find as that statement would want us to believe. It often seems that hell is prevailing against the church of Jesus Christ in America. Why do I say that? You look at the compromise, the lukewarmness, the apathy, the scattering, the carnality. Let me ask, how many of you are parents? How many of you have parents? I just want to get everybody involved. You know, when a parent has a child that's, that goes astray, it breaks their heart, doesn't it, Mom and Dad? How do you think God feels when he looks at his people and he sees the things going on in church that we just named and there's more beside? It breaks his heart. So I want to look at four distinct aspects with you today that are really the reasons that Christ left us behind after He ascended to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.20 gives us the first one. Now then, or understand this, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, one per, one reason you and I are still here is to act and function as ambassadors. So, what's an ambassador? It's an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. Someone who's authorized to act on behalf of a higher authority. And they serve as a representative. Friends, we are here as representatives of heaven. It becomes obvious Jesus had no intention of totally abandoning humanity when He left. He had a two-part plan to continue His work on this planet. And one part is for His people to act and function as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Now, to be an ambassador is not only an honor and a privilege, but it carries a great responsibility. You see, you represent the interests of your home-sending country in this foreign land. We're authorized, empowered by the Holy Spirit to represent and act on heaven's behalf. Now, that may sound pretty lofty. I like First Peter 2.9. It gives us a little insight. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. I like the translation that says peculiar people. How many of you know peculiar people? How many of you might be considered peculiar people? (laughs) That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. Well, I wasn't all that bad. Well, you weren't all that good either. I always get nervous when people say, you know, I share a little bit of my story. Well, Brother Scott, I wasn't as bad as that. No, but you would have gone straight to hell with me. Some of us are going to hell, drug addicting, nasty, snaggly, on the back of a Harley, smelling like a sewer. And some of us are going to hell, sophisticated, squeaky, clean, and religious, with Chanel number five. Say this with me. I am an ambassador. One sentence. I am an ambassador. We're accountable for this role. You see, ambassadors aren't kings and queens and celebrities and rock stars or contemporary influencers or hermits. But they are active Representatives acting on behalf of the interests of their sending government and nation. Sometimes we think we're other things. When I was a musician in Denver years ago, I started to hang out a little bit at the music store. I was a gospel Christian musician. And I would think, you know, I could could act this way because I'm a musician. And the Holy Ghost pulled me up short. He said, No, you're not a musician. I was playing in a popular band and all that mess. He said, you're a Christian. And I realized, I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian before anything else in my life. My background, my heritage, my this, my that, my thus and the other. I am here because of the kingdom of God in heaven. Jesus left us here to be His ambassadors. Every believer... How many believers are here? Let me see your right hand right now or I change my sermon. Every believer is his representative. Are we acting as his representatives? Can you pose this question to yourself before the Lord? How may I fulfill my role as an ambassador in a greater way in the days ahead of my circle of life. Now, what I showed you up there, that's part of my circle of life. My circle of life includes drug addicts, gang members, inner cities, hurting, broken area, and crazy people. Sometimes I meet the best people in the world and the craziest people in the world, and sometimes they're the best person. They're all the same person. But how can I expand my role as an ambassador in my circle of life? You see. The Lord already said, you are an ambassador. It's not that you become. You are, as my children. Reason number one that we're still here, we're ambassadors. Secondly, John sixteen seven. Now, as I read this to you, imagine that you are having a personal conversation with Jesus as I read this verse to you. Jesus said, but very truly I tell you, It's for your good or your advantage that I go away. Stop for just a moment. Jesus is telling you this, and you're going, wait a minute. What do you mean it's for my good that you go away? You delivered me. You healed me. You brought my family back together. You have blessed my life 24-7, 365. So what do you mean it's for my good that you go away? He said, unless I go away. The Advocate, or the Helper, or the Comforter, or Holy Spirit will not come to you. How many of you are glad for Holy Spirit? He will not come to you, but if I, I go, I will send Him to you. You see, Jesus loved the early disciples and you and I so much. He knows the challenges that we face every day, individually and collectively as the people of God. And He knows it's impossible to fulfill His purpose in our destiny, in and of ourselves. There's not enough vitamins, there's not enough Starbucks to help us get it done. As crazy and dark as it appears, the Holy Spirit is here right now, and He is at work. Holy Ghost is on the job this very moment. Reason number two Jesus left us here? To be a vessel empowered by the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 said, This is the word of the Lord, this is a rubble, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Say this with me. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. All together now. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. As an ambassador who is authorized by home government, we have been given power. I like Luke 10:19. Behold, I give you power and authority over all. Pastor, when the Bible says all, what does it mean? All, not 98%, but all. All the power over all the power of the enemy. The way some people talk, you got a great big devil and a puny god. When you read the book of Ezekiel, it's interesting Excuse me, Isaiah. I got the two prophets mixed up, but I got it right now that I looked in my notes. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, it says, when they jerk the wraps off the devil, this is my interpretation, when when the devil is revealed for who he is, they're going to look at him and go, is that what shook the nations? Is that? I got to tell you this. When I was a young wannabe thug, um, me and a guy that was a real thug, we were walking down the street late one night. And in those days, we carried knives. We called them blades. And we're walking down the street one night, and we hear this dog bark. And we jump up on the roof of the car. We whip out our knives. So we're thinking we're going to see a Doberman, a Shepherd, a pit bull. It was a chihuahua. <laughs> I'm serious. And he and I looked at each other. We entered into an unspoken covenant that we'd never He'd been dead for a long time, so I'm just... But that actually happened just like that. And that's it. We go, is that what messed with my marriage? Is that what kept me up at night? Is that what filled me with fear? That! We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, my friend. Now, let me tell you, the power of the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily automatic in a Christian's life. You have to ask and receive. What do you mean, Scott? Luke eleven thirteen, And God will give you the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who who ask Him. You see, we have the power to get her done. I've lived in Texas for a while to get her done in the world that we live in. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto Me. Jesus has given us the power to, to bring the message of Christ and the power of God to the world that we live in. It's called the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Every believer acting as an ambassador is gifted with this power. It's available to us, my friend, if we will only ask. Every time I get ready to preach, I look down and all the notes I prepare, I say, Lord, I have a lot of words, but I need your word. The third reason that we're still here Luke chapter 19, verse 13, we read this. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Now I began to think, what would be the, figuratively speaking, ten pounds I've been entrusted with? Well, there's my salvation. There's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's the Word of God. There's the name of Jesus. There's the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, and so much more. So we have been entrusted with these. And then he said, occupy. Now, that's an interesting word. The word literally means to carry on business or invest. But sometimes I think we in church might have had a different...
0: Definition of that
1: word. Let me ask: Have you ever visited a church and sat in somebody else's seat? You're a guest, and you go in and you just find a seat. And you sit down, in brother bucket mouth and sister lizard lit seat. And and then they come in. Several years ago, we were traveling. I believe it was in Florida. And Nancy and the kids were a lot younger and we were guest ministers and we walked into the church and the pastors took me away. So Nancy took our kids to find a place to sit. And she sat in the second row. And then all of a sudden a lady came in who sits in that seat. Daggers and electricity coming out of eyeballs. <laughs> You know, there was no nameplate on the seat, initials carved. And so she and the kids are sitting down, and the pastor stands up. You know, we're blessed. Brother Scott Henkel our guest speaker today, and he's brought his family with him. Would you please stand up? They stand up in that seat. You know, sometimes we think the word occupy means sit and be a squatter. And this is not the best expression of Christianity right now. Forgive me, Pastor. What do you mean, Scott? And I'm pro-church. I've served as a pastor. We come in. We sit. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. A couple of bucks for the bucket. Hallelujah. Good word, Pastor. And then by the time we get to the parking lot, there ain't no Christianity evident in our life. If this is it, as they say in New Jersey, forget about it. (laughs) Occupy. Jesus was telling us to be active until He comes. Occupy. Carry on business. Invest the skills, the talents, the resources He's given us into the kingdom of God on Christ's behalf. Carrying on business. I like the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. You remember the story? Jesus was about 12 years old, and in those days, uh, you know, the Jews would migrate to Jerusalem for certain holidays. And they would travel like a village together. And in this particular time, Jesus and his family, well, is, they, they'd all left. And after a couple of days, they were going, well, where's Jesus? You know, they might not have, he might not have traveled with his family, mind his friends, his cousins and all. So go, where's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? And then finally they realize, maybe hey, he's back at the temple. It took three days they get back there, and they go in there, and, and there's Jesus, and Jesus says to his parents, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Father's business, interesting phrase, we throw it around. First of all, Father's business, I believe, refers to having a relationship with the Father to begin with and an awareness of His purposes and plans. Being about the Father's business, how can that become ours? I think it begins with Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The perspective of life begins here to be about the Father's business. Secondarily, I like Micah 6.8. He's shown you, old man, what is good. And that means old lady too. He's shown you, old men and women, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? Love mercy and walk Humbly with your God. Father's business. We could pursue this a lot. I like Matthew 4.19. Jesus said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Huh. In other words, if you are following Jesus, you're doing some fishing. Let me flip the script. If you're not fishing, you're not fully following did he say that yes Matthew 5 we're talking about being about the father's business how many of you know the father's business isn't church being us for and no more that we are here for such a time as this now, that phrase often is mistaken, thinking God is going to give me my moment on the main stage of life. It has nothing to do with that. That we are here for this moment in history to be what Jesus said we are. He said in Matthew 5.14, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. My friends, every one of us are designed for influence. How many of you know if you take a bite of food and it's salty, mm, and you know it, Light, this room could be pitch black and you take a cheap paper laminated match and strike it and it can be seen all over the place. You and I, children of God, are designed to influence other people for the purpose of Christ. We're His ambassadors. He's given us power to do this. And He's laid out the purpose, occupy till I come. Out of the 118 elements in the world, Jesus chose salt and light to describe us because we are designed for influence. One study said every person will have a profound influence upon 15 people during the course of their life. You are designed to influence someone for the goodness and sake of Christ. No matter who you are or where you've been, Say this with me. I will occupy and be about the Father's business. The final reason that we're here. I got, I, you know, one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts chapter 16. I'm going to recount it. And recount part of it. Paul and Silas cast the devil out of a fortune-telling girl. Do you remember that? And she had a handler, and handlers weren't making any money when she got delivered from the devil. So they had Paul and Silas locked up and thrown in jail. And so Paul and Silas are in jail, and they're having their own little personal worship service. And the Bible says other prisoners were listening. And as, after that, there was an earthquake. The doors of the prison flew open. The jailer was about ready to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners would flee. And Paul says, we're all still here. So the jailer goes, gets Paul and Silas, cleans them up, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer gets saved. Family, man, it's tremendous. Then the magistrate, the official, sends the word down to the jailer, Release these men. And Paul's response is quite interesting. Paul says to the officers in of verse 37, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens. In other words, if you're a Roman citizen, you, that's a don't mess with me card. They beat, In other words, they, beat, they, they treated us illegally, unethically, and immorally. And Paul said, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? In other words, they want to slip us out the back door, put us into a van with tinted windows, take them to George Bush International Airport and fly them to the other end of the world before anybody knows in the morning. Paul said, no, let me put it this way, ain't going to happen. This is how we roll. Let them come themselves and escort us out. In other words, we'll go 12 noon tomorrow out the front door. We want a parade. I want the mayor, the chief of police, the the jailer, everybody leading the pack. And I want a news conference with Hebrew Broadcasting Network. We will not go quietly. Just as the Romans wanted Paul to leave and go away quietly, the climate we live in, folks, we prefer that we feed the hungry, that we clothe the naked, that we provide assistance and education. But don't you ever talk about Jesus Christ. Not going to happen on my watch. Psalm 107, verse 2 says this, Let the redeemed of the Lord those who have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Anyone here have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy? fess up! I like Revelation twelve eleven. They overcame Him, referring to the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What's the word of our testimony? That the, what the blood of the Lamb has accomplished in our life. Psalm 94, verses 16 through 17. How many of you give me seven more minutes? Let me see your hands right now. 7, 14, 21, 28, 35. Psalm 94, verses 16 through 17 says, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, this is what pierces my heart. My soul would have settled in silence. I don't want drag queens reading stories to my children. Do you? I don't want the insanity ruling and making principle and policy in America to continue. Do you? I believe that the answer for America is not necessarily in the government, but it's in the hands of the people of God who will passionately pray and preach boldly. I've studied history throughout the ages, revival throughout the ages, and the two keys to revival, or passionate praying and bold preaching. That's what's changed eras and generations and times and seasons. And we are in that season right now. But the question, who will? Friends, today, Jesus left us here to be His voice. Say this with me. I am a voice. I want you to say it again. I am a voice. One more time. I am a voice. Somebody wants needs to hear what you've got to say. Romans 8.19 says this, The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. How many of you know what eager expectation is? Yeah, preacher, we're waiting for you to finish so we can go eat lunch. We're eagerly expecting lunch. Beyond that, somebody is waiting. God has somebody in store for you to speak to. You have something God's given you, you have a story whether you were this, that, thus, or the other, or you came from the bottom side of the pew to the top side of the pew and fell in love with Jesus. Somebody needs to hear what you've got to say. I'm an introvert, so it's amazing that I do what God's called me to do. I would have preferred to have been a research nerd, stuck away in a room someplace uh, with books. I love books. And if I wanted to eat, I will tell you. Otherwise, leave me alone. I enjoy my own company. When I need expert advice, I talk to myself. <laughs> you see, somebody's waiting for you. I had an experience, well, not too long back ago, I was back in New Jersey, and I ran into a, a lady. And she looks at me and she says, Are you the same Scott Hinkle that went to Ocean Township High School? And I stopped for a moment. And I answered that question very slowly and carefully. Why? I was the first student put out of that school for drugs. And I thought the reason she asked me was, was because I did something. I stole something. I heard. I did something. So I said, Yes. And she says, you don't know what this means to me. This is one of the worst days of my life. My son's in the hospital. He just tried to commit suicide. And now God brings across my path the very first person to witness to me. She says, do you remember witnessing to me and my friend on the beach? And I thought for a moment, and I honestly could not remember. But I knew what Jesus did. The fact that I came across her path at this very strategic and dark moment gave her hope. Friends, if you will believe that God can use you, if you will get out of the boat, I don't know, some religious backgrounds. I remember growing up, and my parents, my mother would say to me, you know, here's Mr. So-and-so. He's a very religious person. You know, religion is a very personal and private matter, Scott. It is not. The world needs to hear what somebody has to say, and you are that somebody. We talked all day yesterday about increasing our reach. What does that mean? That we stretch a little bit beyond ourselves. The times are demanding. Not that we run and hide, but that we arise, shine, knowing our light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. We see the darkness that's covering the earth. But the Bible says that nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. But back up to that starting phrase, if you will arise, if you will rise up and shine, that is to release the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the gospel of Jesus Christ into somebody's life. Seventy-eight percent of people who find Christ do so through a friend or a relative or an acquaintance. Why not be part of the seventy-eight percent percent category. You say, Scott, I don't know that I have anything to say. If you know Jesus and you love Him, you've got something to say. Maybe it's just that. I don't want to interrupt people. Some people need their life interrupted. You don't have to be obnoxious. You can be polite and courteous and use breath mints. It's an important part of, that's an important part of personal ministry, right, Pastor? Anyone ever come to the altar, somebody prays for you, and they needed a breath mint? I'm being a little humorous, but friends, I couldn't be more dead serious at the moment of time. This neighborhood, this community needs the Jesus that you love, serve, and worship. And the reason this house exists. We are here for this purpose, my friend. You're never too old. You're never too young. There's no biological clock ticking that says it's over. It's over when you stand before Jesus in heaven and, Ed, and He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm Burr years old. I know you caught that. I was born in the year 1990. And I'm grateful for the goodness of God. We are here, my friends, for such a time as this, with war in Israel. I remember it as a young Bible school student, 50 years ago right now, when the Arab-Israeli war broke out, thinking I may want to go to Israel just as a Jewish young man. Well, I didn't, but I knew the passion of what was going on hit me today. Some of you are facing very difficult and challenging situations in addition to what's happening in the world, but I want you to know that Jesus is fully aware of who you are, where you're at, and has a hand extended in your direction if you'll respond. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. There's two questions that I want to pose to you this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for those of you that would say, Scott, I choose to take those reasons that I'm still here and let them become real and front and center in my life by my choice and the power of the Holy Spirit, the fact that I am an ambassador, that I will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that I'm here to occupy, be about the Father's business, and I'm going to be a voice to somebody, someplace, somewhere, somehow. And in a moment, I will ask for you to commit to that. But before I can do that, I must ask this question. You know, this is a wonderful place. There's a wonderful feel here, wonderful music. But I've got to ask you, is your heart and life right with God here today? Going to church never made anyone a child of God or a Christian. Any more than if you lived in a a garage, you would become a car. But it comes when you make the personal choice and decision. Not to have a little religion, not to have a touch of Christianity here and there. Not because your mother, your father, your parents. But because you make the decision, number one, you know your heart and life isn't being lived honoring God. And you know that the only way to receive peace and forgiveness for the sin is for that the one who paid the price for everything wrong every sin you've ever committed. And that's Jesus Christ. When He died on the cross, buried in the grave, and God raised Him from the dead. When God raised Jesus from the dead, you've got to understand this. First of all, He proved that He loves you enough to send His only begotten Son to die a brutal death on your behalf. But beyond that, when God raised Jesus from the dead, He proved that He could put your life back together again. He proved that He could heal you. He proved that He could, put, that he could bring your marriage back together again. He could deliver you from drugs and addiction and crazy living simply by raising His Son from the dead, He shows you He has the power and the love to bring change to your life. So my question is this. If you would choose today to make your heart or your life right with God, either for the very first time, or maybe you say, Scott, yes, I'm a Christian, but man, I've drifted. I'm here in body, but my heart, my mind are lost someplace else. I'm involved in things that aren't honoring Christ and I know my life is wrong. And you choose to make your heart or your life right with God for the first time or renewed time. I'm going to ask, no one's looking around, but I'm going to ask you to raise your right hand right now and say, That's me. That's me. I need to make my heart or my life right with God. I choose to do that today. Let me see your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to wait just a moment. Some of you are processing, is it me? Jesus is saying, yes, it's you. But he says, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, burned out and bummed out, and I will give you rest and refreshment for your soul if you'll come to me. I'm going to wait another moment. Thank you, sir. You can put that down. You can put those down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I'm going to ask you to be bold right now. You raised your hand. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. There were several and join me right up front. Don't be embarrassed. You raised your hand. Come on. come, Rise to your feet and join me up front. What you're going to be doing is kind of punching the devil in the nose, saying, I'm not, you know, uh uh-uh. Jesus said, if you stand for me, I'll stand for you. I urge you to do that. Don't be embarrassed. Come on up front. Come Come on, come on, come on, come on. God's going to meet you. Yes, He can meet you where you are. And we're going to pray and God will meet you. But I would urge you to take a stand in your own life. Church, I want you to extend your hands to the, to to this family, the family of God right here. We're going to pray together. And Jesus is going to answer your prayer. Any of the leaders, if you'd like to come alongside some of these folks here right now. You see, folks, Jesus changes in lives. Don't be afraid of who's sitting next to you. If they're going to think ill, if they're going to think ill of you, they need to beat you to the altar. Let's, church, let's pray with these together out loud. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your goodness and loving kindness. You've done more for me than I could ever deserve. Forgive me, Jesus, for living my life in a way that doesn't honor You. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. Make my heart and my life new. Come live inside of my life. I choose to follow You. You held nothing back from me. I hold nothing back from you. In Jesus' name, my life is yours. Now and forevermore. Give me a new appetite for life. Give me new friends. Lord, heal my life, my mind, my soul, and my body. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, let's give God thanks for these here right now. And you know, I know there were some that were sitting in their seat, and I'm not going to condemn you, but I want to urge you, you come and talk to some of the leaders. Come and talk to Pastor Angela. Come and talk to Larry and Pat and some of the others here. We not only want to see you pray a prayer, but we want to see you walk. We want to see the newness of life become reality every day that you're here. There's people that love you, that care about you, and will help you grow in Christ. Secondly, this. I'm talking to the church now. You say, Scott, those reasons that we're still here from the Word of God, I want to make them pillars of truth in my life. I choose to live as an ambassador for Christ, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be about the Father's business and occupied by the grace of God. I'm going to be a voice to somebody else. You make that determination. You know what? I couldn't put a few sentences together when I gave my life to the Lord. I told the, yesterday, the first time, the pastor of the church, I went to two and a half blocks from my house. The guy led me to the Lord said, there's a little white wood frame church, you need to go there. I walked two and a half blocks, went to that church, he embraced me, loved me. I serve in a leadership capacity uh, now after all of these years there, but he loved me so much. But he said, you, Scott, you can invite all of your old friends and you can preach to them. I haven't been saved very long. So I invited them all. There was a good old crowd in the fellowship hall. And I was going to be like David Wilkerson or Nikki Cruz or Billy Graham, somebody like that. And I was fired up. And I preached to them in three minutes. I told them my sermon. And then I repeated myself in a minute and a half. And I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me. And I look over to the left, and there's a door that led to the outside of the building. I looked at them, I looked at the door, I ran out the door. I ran down the streets and said, I will cry crying, I'll never do this again. Some precious saint ran down the street, grabbed me by the back of my neck, pulled me back, but by then the pastor finished off the meeting. You probably won't have an experience like that, but what I want you to know is God can use your voice, God wants to use your life, You've surrendered to Him. Now you say, I'm, I'm laying this out a little heavy because this is a commitment that God will pay attention to. Three days after I got saved, I got down on my knees, ended up at a youth retreat, and I said, Lord, here's my life, the good and the bad. I'll do what You want me to do. Go where You want me to go. Be what You want me to be. Say what You want me to say. Funny thing, Jesus was listening. I never heard that. And that's why I'm here today. Jesus will listen and watch for your commitment, so when I ask you to make this this commitment it's serious business somebody is waiting for you. you say, Scott today, I choose to live my life and expand my role as an ambassador for Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, about the father's business occupying till I come and to be his voice. If you can say, I choose these four pillars of truth to be part of my life, would you stand to your feet? All I'm going to say after we pray is get ready for action. God will open doors and situations for you. Some of them you may not be too comfortable with but Jesus will be with you and empower you. I want you to raise your hands as if you're lifting up the entire, not praising, but lifting up the entirety of your life. And pray these words with me. Lord Jesus, thank You for everything You've done in my life. I choose to live as You've called me, as an ambassador for Christ. Empowered by Your Spirit. And I ask You right now, Lord, give me a fresh endowing of the Holy Spirit. I choose to be about the Father's business and occupying till You return. I am a voice for You. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's give God thanks. Can we do that? We love you. We honor you, Lord. You can be seated for just a moment. I want to mention a couple of things and give the service back to Brother Larry.